Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode with Fixed Audio, I think. We're recording this right now, so I won't really know if the audio is better until it's over. But presumably, better audio episode of the World's Okay's Mountain Bike Podcast. You know how we do it. Lowish production quality and the truth. I've got the boys here, Ryan Brown, Kyle Krangle. And today, we have things to talk about that you can probably relate to. Primarily, that is going to be our mountain bike New Year's resolutions. But also, I have some things to say about the state of the mountain bike industry. As someone who's really not an insider whatsoever, but just some common sense things that I've noticed. Anyway, before we get into that, Ryan, how'd Christmas break treat you? Uh, Christmas break was good. That was good. I, uh... I put a new uh, horse in the stable, so I think that's good, especially since this is a mountain bike podcast or a bike podcast. Oh, I, at first I was excited, you know, I'm like riveting stuff here, and I was like, you did? And then now I remember what it is, and I I don't care. Yeah, I, I didn't think any of our listeners would care. It's a road bike, people. Moving yeah. on. All right, Kyle, you're up. Have you sold a bike yet, Kyle? Oh, no, no. And I've, I've gotten one interested party, but I kind of knew that that was going to be the case. I mean, I'm asking uh, $5,800 for a used mountain bike, and that I do am, and am well aware that that is a, an absolute ton of money for a used mountain bike. But the, but the thing is, is that <clears throat> you can't touch the spec, even in a, in a new bike, for less than seven grand. Um, so, I mean, it's it's there, and it's in good – it's in, you know, near mint condition. I have every pamphlet – folder file owner's manual and registration for him. And it's a legit deal. It would, it just going to have to be the guy that wants to spend six grand on a bike and realize that he, he could get a full factory XX build for 58 instead of, you know, spending seven on an XO build with. I, I think that that level build of a bike goes for 75 or 8,000 all day. Like new. I really yeah, do. So That's the, the closest spec, the closest spec to it with an XO drivetrain and a new bike from a reputable manufacturer is between seven and $8,000. Um, you, you say XX like it's, it's transmission. So yeah, it's yeah. T-type. No comparison to XO. Kyle, did you just disappear? Ignore call. Sorry. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, we'll we'll carry you, buddy. Don't worry about it. Um, it's, it's an incredibly nice bike, but and it's and it's a very fair deal for the right person. But the the right person has to be wanting to spend six grand on a bike and you know get the best bang for buck. I mean, like like I said in the post, was that you wish you could get this spec level for six grand in a new bike, and you can't. It, you just can't. But that a lot of guys find justification in needing a bike of that spec, and I totally respect that as well. Well, just so you know, right now, the on-sale price for the previously listed at $11,500, now listed at $7,500, S-Works Epic, I mean, Stump Jumper Evo, that, mind you, has a fork that's not as good, nor does it have a transmission-type drivetrain, so $7,500 will get you... Basically the same spec as your bike, but with a 36 instead of a 38 and an X01 regular drivetrain instead of the well, X01 axis 
and not XO1 transmission. So it's actually a, to, in my mind, not as good of a build. The only thing it has that your bike doesn't have, which I don't think is an advantage because it's only 170 mil drop, is it has the Axis dropper. But you've got a 180 post in there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the so, Axis is only 170. So, right. Yeah, 7,500. If you want a, a spec that the drivetrain is still a thousand dollars cheaper. From specialized website, it's going to cost you seventy five hundred. Now we didn't start this podcast to sell Kyle's bike. I was just curious, but uh, <laughs> no. But I am. I'm about ready. I, I do need to start getting some action on it. I, I definitely want to get somebody interested in it. Um, I, there's one guy. One of my buddies is going to try to come take a peek at it because he's got that like I want to spend six grand on an elite level build. And he was like, Well, I was planning on just buying something off the shelf. He's like, But your bike for the spec for the money is, I mean, obviously a way better deal. He's like, I'm, I'm going to come check it out. So uh, we'll see. I, I don't know how committed he is, but he wants to come look at it, but I do need to sell it. Cause I am like real close to, to ordering my new bike, which will be in, in March. Well, if there's anybody who's got the definition of lightly used and it's actually real, <laughs> it's you <laughs> not, not making fun of you, but you're really the only people like I take care of my stuff. But if I tell people my enduro bike is, barely ridden or whatever i'm gonna get absolutely put on blast uh and but. yeah like that that white one never made it to shepherd god it's terrible to say it never made it to shepherd it did ride greensfelder once it rode chub three times and then a whole bunch of like lost lost valley matson uh and then one trip to bentonville is all that bike ever saw it's got a, it's got 204 miles on it according to my strava okay well, that's enough about that. I want to move on to uh, a rant, which if the wrong or I guess you could say the right people hear this rant, they'd be like, who are you to judge, Clint? This is somebody's dream. <clears throat> but as you guys know, and as people on the St. Louis Enduro Mount Facebook page know, just for the heck of it, I started making a Google Docs list. I actually started making this years ago, and I kind of abandoned it when I hit like 80 um, but with all the bike brand turmoil and bankruptcies and going out of business or whatever, I revisited this list of how many mountain bike brands are out there frame, at least frame manufacturers. But I think most all of these, you can build a, uh, a you can buy a full build. So it was in the eighties when I picked this back up just yesterday and with other people chiming in and revisiting it and just some pink bike scrolling through the archives, I am now up to 115 mountain. And I know, I know I'm missing one. And uh, Scotty Gettemeyer, if he hears me, he's got a steel bike where you go and you pick custom geometry, everything. And for the, I'm just going to put in 116 Scotty's bike because I cannot remember what brand it is. And I know it's not on here. 116 mountain bike manufacturers. And I know that's not complete. And the, the, the criteria is they have to make a full suspension bike that is not an e-bike. That is like a legitimate trail bike option. Well, here's another question, too. So, I mean, do you have the e-bike brands on there? Gas, gas, no. Yamaha, et cetera? Nope. None of those. No Forestall. Uh no Walmart brands, so there's no like you know uh, Next or that Walmart Ozark Trail brand. Uh, 
no brands that only make like hardtails or like bikepacking bikes, which are still mountain bikes. I didn't even include those. So like a uh, Ragley, Ragley's not on here, but th that is a legit mountain bike, but I'm, I'm literally, it was only doing like full suspension and I'm up to 116, 116 ways to slice the full suspension mountain bike pie. Now, I understand the economy is kind of in the pits because of all the crazy inflation and thanks to the Fed pumping tons of money in during the COVID era, blah, blah, blah. But even in the best of economies, I know people dream of starting their own bike company because they love bikes. But this is just a bad, unless you have some kind of true one-of-a-kind magic that is revolutionary technology that you can make for an affordable price and still make a profit, it's, it's a horrible idea to start a bike company. All right, here's a question. Did you take Gorilla off your list? No, it's still on there. I, I was leaving things that were in there. In 20, I, there's, there's several that are going to come off, that's for sure. I still have Gorilla on there. I still have Orange on there. But okay, what if we take the list from 116 to 100 even? That's still like. I think this rivals like the amount of car washes going in in St. Charles County. Like this is just. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny statement because it's true. Dude. It's just it's just crazy. It's crazy. Um, I don't. It's it just what are we supposed to think? You know, I think. This is why mountain biking, no matter what the economy looks like, will perpetually always be, whether it really is or not, it will always be, quote, in trouble. Because there will always be brands that can't sell enough bikes to to cover their cost of making the bikes. And they'll always be locked. It's just, I don't see how some of these have made, made it as far as they did. Um. But am I wrong about this? Like, is this actually a good thing for everyone else that's not a bike rider? Uh, or does it actually – oh, go ahead, Kyle. I going to say, I mean, there are tons of options. Obviously, what we got 116 that make frames, which means, like, those, some of those brands, we are well unaware of the, like – what that setup actually is because I, you know, some of those steel frame companies literally could be a single person in a garage building those yeah. off of a, off of a frame chassis. And he only does 10 a year, but he has a website and he has a brand and he had a pink bike article. And so like, you know I mean? We're calling those, be, yeah, those a few of those, but not like that many, not that many that are in that category. Now, what I would be curious on the industry side to figure out, how many of them have their own R&D department and are designing their own bikes and manufacturing them in their own facilities versus um, uh, overseas engineering and being sold to from an engineering firm and just buying catalog bikes and putting their parts on? There's a ton of that that happens in the overseas manufacturing division where some engineering firm sells a design to a manufacturing company. The manufacturing company contacts its 30 brands that it sells bikes to and says, hey, we're going to produce this. Would you like any of these with your name on it? And it's that. But there's there could be 40 bikes that have almost all the exact same the exact same bike. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. But 
okay, let's say there's 40 of those and another 20 is a guy in a garage. We subtract 60 off here. We're still in the 50s. <laughs> and and if you're going to have a bike brand, it's not just we make this bike. It's we make it in at least small, medium, large, if not extra small to double XL and all these different build specs and like colors and everything colors. And it just Which how is, on earth do you. But that statement alone is exactly why mountain bikes cost more than motorcycles. Almost depends on the motorcycle, but not not always. No, no, you but I can. Mean, I mean, you can buy a mountain bike that costs more than any motorcycle. That is true. But like, if you went, if you went in, I mean, like, you know, dirt bikes. I mean, if you went into a KTM dealer and you know, call let's call KTM the tip of the top, and you wanted to say, or, hey, <laughs> give, give me the, you know, or what? But like, as far as expensive goes, nobody makes a more expensive motorcycle than KTM. I don't know about pricing. There are people who make better about. motorcycles, but. Well, no, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, if we're going to talk, if we're going to talk top of the price, let's talk top of the price. So let's, let's Are talk. they the top? I don't know what the top of the. the no, I, I think I think they are the most. Hus popular. Husqvarna, I think, is actually the highest priced at this point. Either way, one of them Austrian companies, they're overpriced. Same right? It's same company, yeah. So. But if you go into a Husqvarna dealer or KTM dealer and say, give me the full Enduro, Erzberg Rodeo, whatever package, the most expensive one you have with all the bells and whistles, you're out the door for, what, 13.5, Ryan? Yeah, somewhere around there, right around that. Works edition, like a works edition 450s right around there. You're right. So, but if you also go to a you know, a Yeti dealer, maybe even Santa Cruz. I haven't looked at their lineup in a while. And you said, give me, what's the, well, how much money can I possibly spend today on one bike off the factory floor? You could, you could spend the same amount of money or you could spend more than that if it's an e-bike and people lose their minds over that concept. But this, the, the fact is, is that, you know, or that, that motorcycle that sold here in the U S is the same exact components, color, everything that it's been for many years. And it's sold that, that way around the, around the globe with no options. You know what I mean? You get the XCW 300 Erzberg Rodeo and it comes the way that it comes period. Not no sizes, no, no, no composites, manufacturing, no molds. It's literally the same steel and aluminum welded together, the same color and produced one way with one option, like for every single market that it ships to worldwide. And then Pretty now much. you couple that with it, with the just made is that like now, you know, KTM makes a bunch of different models. So does Yeti or Specialized or Santa Cruz or whoever it is. But like all those models all come in between five and seven sizes, all with three to four different colors. And then all with, you know, what, five different build specs. You know what I mean? And you, so you talk about manufacturing, like the cost of manufacturing, and then each market gets different color options and all kinds of stuff. It's a it's a lot when you look at it on the manufacturing side about cost. And that's, you know, an argument that I don't think people, a lot of people understand is that when you make one of one thing, it is so much easier to keep it cost effective than it is if you make 37 of that thing, you know, different variants. Yeah. Um. That's not where we went. To, that's not where we, where we were trying to go with this <laughs> conversation. So I'm sorry. For no, actually, I'm I'm glad we're doing something that's not just like, hey, what have you and your kids been up to? Uh, you know, we need to. Uh... It's it it controversial it's, topics. I don't think it's controversial. Nah, people necessarily. Like Here's what's controversial. I'll give you controversial because this this is a serious question. And I don't think the answer is obvious either way. And I don't really have my own mind made up. <clears throat> Would we, as riders, think about the price of mountain biking, 
because there's two ways to look at it. Well, there's more than two ways, but here are two big ways to look at mountain biking and the health of it and progress. One way you can look at progress is advancing technology. And it's like the more competition, the more innovation there is, we get better products, right? We get new stuff, a better ride quality once you get your hands on the latest and greatest thing. But also with that comes prices go up, 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 up. Now, I love my transmission on my bike. I think it is superior to cable actuated. I think the only people who don't are people who haven't really gotten to spend any time on it. I hate saying that because it's more expensive. And what I would like is for the best thing to also be cheap, but it's just not reality. However, in human nature, the big thing is we really care about comparison because were we having were we any less happy before access or transmission drivetrains came onto the scene and nobody else had it either? No, I don't think so. I think I was having a great time. And if they had never appeared and no one else ever had it, I wouldn't know what I was missing and I'd still be having a great time. Well, and so, that, was both of, that was both of our arguments yeah. for a while. Like I yeah. didn't want to ride, I didn't want to ride access. I didn't want to have batteries yeah. and, I, and I, I'm not unhappy with my cable actuated high level drivetrains. I've been riding XO and XX stuff for, you know, six years and I've never been unhappy. I've always been wildly impressed at how, how, how good that shifts until yeah. you ride, until you ride the next best thing. <laughs> so, so let me, so here's where I'm going with this is the question is, would we as mountain bikers, as individuals or as just the health of the sport as a whole, be better off if there was only something like 10 legit mountain bike brands. And to some extent, less innovation. Now, I do think we have sort of reached a really good point in geometry where if you're on, let's see, it's 2024. If you're on a 2020 or even a 20, I even think back to that 20, my first uh, real mountain bike full suspension was a 2016, uh, the Trek Remedy I had. That bike would still be like geometry wise and, and even suspension would be right in line with a lot of bikes today. Now it would be considered truly a, tr a trail bike, not an enduro bike. And I don't even know what the head tube angle was, but it wasn't that steep, you know. We're at a point now where if you're on a bike that's a few years old, it's not super outdated geometry-wise, like it would be comparing a 2016 to a 2010 or 2011, right? There's a big difference. Like there was a lot of progress made there. So now that we've made that progress and we've seen bikes go so long and so slack that actually they're coming back, like we've kind of, re we found out that's too far. Um, will we be better off as a sport and just participation and barrier to entry if there were a lot fewer brands with slower progression where companies were able to make their money off of their what they've made for more years at a time and sort of bring the overall cost down or would fewer companies potentially drive the price up because they could almost have sort of a, a cabal going on no, I don't. I don't know. I think what you're describing, honestly, is just what I view the motorcycle industry as. You know what I mean? That that's exactly what the yeah. motorcycle industry is. Slow progression, eight eight to ten brands. You know. Um, exactly. Would we be better off if if mountain biking was more like that? 
Yeah, but that's the thing is maybe in as far as strength of manufacturing and like size of companies, but in that same exact sentiment, everybody hates hearing about Trek specialized buying up bike shops and bike brands and like eliminating the individuality of the industry. You know what I mean? And just making these giant conglomerates that all they do is make money instead of make I don't know, make dreams or however you want to put it. But like, I love the individuality that mountain bike and brands allow you to express. Um, I think culturally, I would not like to see that happen. I think it would be sweet if there was a way for all the bikes to uh, be, you know, two, you know, two grand more, two grand less expensive, you know, when you get over that, like three grand range. I mean, I, I don't think, I think we'd all like to see that, but I mean, I don't think it's realistic. And I think it's good for the industry and for the sport to have uh, diversity and, uh, and growth and, you know, just people want, wanting the new next best thing. I mean, I think it would be, it would be sad if nothing ever changed every other year. And it was like that for a long time. Yeah. Mountain biking went very unchanged for a very long time. It wasn't until about, I don't know what, 10, 15 years ago, maybe 15 years ago that like we started, you know, seeing changes again. We went, we had straight head tubes. We had, you know, bolt on, we had quick release axles, we had three by drivetrains, and we had all that stuff and V brakes. I mean, for forever. I mean, from the inception of mountain biking in the 70s or 80s until like literally like the end of the 90s. And it wasn't until then that we started changing things quite a bit. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I mean, well, here's for modified road bikes in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, we we what it is is we simultaneously want the individuality and all that expression, which in itself is the very thing that makes it impossible for companies to sell bikes for two thousand dollars less because the pie is getting split up. That's why there's not. I don't think it's impossible to make a profit selling a legit. 130 140 mil rear travel 65 degree head angle alloy bike with decent wheels and a decent drivetrain something like a SRAM GX or whatever level that would be profitable for a company to sell for let's say $2000 or or even less but they would have to be able to sell very like really high numbers of that to make you know be smaller margin and that's just that's what's impossible in the mountain bike industry is it's impossible to sell any one model of bike at very high volume because there's just a trillion options in that space. And that's right. what keeps the price. I don't think it's there. necessarily that they can't make a bike at a at a cost that they could sell it for a lot less. They just can't sell the numbers of those. Not because there's not enough people that would ride them. It's because that pie in it, that that the two thousand dollar crowd is being split a hundred ways. Well, the big thing is is component costs. You know, when you look at the yeah. way a bike's manufactured, I mean, if Specialized makes the frame, there's a there's a very good chance in a high end offering that that's the only part on the bike that Specialized makes. Maybe the tires and the saddle, but every other part comes from a different manufacturer you know you've got SRAM drivetrains you could have Shimano brakes you have DT Swiss wheels you could have DT Swiss rims with uh, Sapham spokes and industry nine hubs and then you could have a Fox fork and a RockShox shock and you know what I mean like 
the, the options are endless, but like there's so many brands that have to make their margin to survive. And that's why, too, when you look at, uh, you know, even in the motorcycle realm, you look at a Yamaha. I mean, we talked about this, too, is that you look at a, a Yamaha factory Yamaha or whatever, you know, it, it is three to four thousand dollars less for the same performing category bike because most of the parts, you know, they're selling it with a, you know, if you're looking at the two strokes, they're selling it with a black Yamaha branded two stroke pipe instead of an FMF in and in a silencer. You know what I mean? Like it's it's house branded parts where they can control the manufacturing and manage their own margin etern- internally. And they don't have to have extra income from the sale to supplement the margin the brand they're getting the components from has to make. Yeah. Do you think uh, do you think a brand right now like uh, oh like a direct to consumer brand like YT or something? Do you think they're losing money on some of their bikes? Uh, I think the sale. I think the sale that they ran through the winter they did, and I and I okay. and I'm willing Had to. to. Yeah, well, but the thing is that we don't know manufacturing costs. Component-wise, like component-wise, I bet they probably didn't lose. There's no way they lose. No company would ever do, run a sale so that they are in the red per item. You know what I mean? Like we know that if we sell this, we're going like we paid 500 for this, we're going to sell it for 400. Like nobody does that. You know what I mean? Like you could thin margin down to zero, but no large company is going to put themselves into the red. So I would venture to say that some of those bikes that run sale very well could have been at manufacturing costs like that's what they cost for them to buy the components assemble the bike build the bike like maybe but even then i'm willing to bet they probably minimum that they, they maybe just shrank their margins to a minimal 10 percent for those sale bikes if i had to guess like if you look at their e-bikes they had they had five thousand dollar gx spec e-bikes which are normally you know eight or nine thousand dollars there's a lot of components and a lot of brands involved in building that bike with the motors and the batteries and everything i would imagine those were very thin margin sales but I still don't think zero margin or, or negative. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's uh, I, I the yeah. There's just no um. I no. guess the relative simplicity of a bicycle compared to something like a motorcycle with an engine, uh is what allows so many people to try to enter the game. It's like, I can design a frame on CAD and find a welder to weld me up one, you know? Correct. Um, can't really do that with a, with a dirt bike. Um, well, you could. It just, it, I mean, like, you can, like not, not, not in a way that allows you to open a business with it. And that's what we were talking about, is that there's probably 60 of those brands that are either catalog engineering or their home manufacturer brands that started to brand in an LLC and produce things at a very small quantity per year. But as far as brands doing their own development, manufacturing their own thing in their own R&D, we're probably really, like you said, we're probably really only looking at 40 to 50 brands that do that. Other than just being a brand, you know, because like there's definitely hobby companies out there. Like I bet some, a lot of those steel brand full suspension bikes are a guy that works a full time job um, or is dirt poor just so that he could live in a garage and build bikes all day for, for the entertainment of it. Okay, well, let me I know it's a long list. I'm going to run down some of this real fast and you can just say you can say. Uh, garage or just say yep if it's not a garage brand or if you've heard of it you know okay the first one i'm not familiar with acoustic uh airdrop i've heard of them don't know if that's catalog back or not airborne i know them alchemy i know them allied yep, yep. that's down bentonville ancelotti no idea 
Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of uh, Atherton Bikes. Absolutely. Who's Atherton? Used to be Robot. You're screwing with me, right? Right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's messing with us, Ryan. Okay. I'm like, Kyle's ah, like, she's she, an old friend of mine. I know. Yeah, I know. I know the Atherton's. Yeah, she's an old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle's like favorite rider in history. Old friend. Old friend. We go way yeah. back. Yeah. Way back. Way, way, way back to the airport in Vancouver where I met him one time. <laughs> yeah. uh, Banshee, you know them. Uh, Bergamont, heard of, not really sure. BH, might be catalog, I don't know. Uh, Black Market. Uh, they don't BM- exist anymore. They don't exist anymore? Okay. BMC, oh, they're legit. Uh, yep. Bird, I've seen bird bikes in the wild before. Aren't those the ones you rent? <laughs> no. uh, I believe uh, not Joey Russell, but one of those Huevos Rancheros boys had one of those at one point. Yeah. Can't remember who. I do remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah, that might have been. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a brand I just found the other day. It's probably a garage brand. It's called Brazen. And then, funny enough, next to that in my list is Bold, which Bold. I guess Scott bought Bold out or they they licensed because they're the ones they started the whole uh, the in the frame shock that you can't see. Yes. So they so Bold was its own brand that Scott purchased and integrated their technology okay. into the development of their new bike. OK, <clears throat> so here's some you're going to know all the you're going to know these next four Cannondale, Canfield, Commonsall, Canyon, Cervelo. That's in the shop now. Uh, Pro Mag, Cube. Uh, I've never heard of Chumac. That's probably a garage band brand. Uh, I bet there's 30 brands you don't have that are exclusively sold overseas in Asian markets and in Europe. Well, like Cube, uh, got Cole, Kotic, Contra, Dartmoor. Yep, yep, yep. Hey, are Uh, we gonna go all the way to Z on this list? I guess not. Anyway, it goes on and on, people. We'll post it on our Facebook page, and you can tell me what's missing. Uh, we'll stop that. It's too long, guys. Yeah, it was going to be a bad, bad podcast. Okay, well, let's move on from all that nonsense. I'm kind of becoming the GM of these podcasts. Like you really are. You know, you should just run this from now on and edit it and post it and everything, and then I don't have to do that anymore. Your podcast, I'm just managing and make sure we stay on task. Oh, okay. Okay. Theme for this podcast that we haven't even gotten to yet, right? I know, right? Well, okay. Well, now's the time. New Year's resolutions, and and it's only January 9th. I mean, should we start off with a resolution that we're going to do one podcast a month, or is that that's that's crazy? No, I think that's a a really good one. I think that's really good. I think that's really good. I think that's achievable. I'm gonna say something here. I'm gonna say something. All right, Ryan. Yes, sir. In general, <laughs> the person whose schedule is the hardest to find time to podcast. It's me. I get it. Has been you. So if, if this is your resolution. I'll stick to just it. Just saying. I'm in. I'm in. That's my resolution. I have others, but that's my resolution. Okay. To be available 11 more times this year. Yeah. 11 more times. That's all we need. Yeah. 11 more. I can do that. So as long as the next one's done by February 28th, we're good. Does that count? Or does it have to be February 9th? 
you know, yeah. so it's only a month from today. No, no, no. no. We, we, we have a 30-day window every month, just by calendar. Just by calendar. Okay, okay. That's a big window. Surely yeah, but, we can. But I think I think it's fair to our listeners, because, I mean, we got a pretty awesome listener base, that we don't do one today on the 9th, and then we wait till February 28th to do one. Like, So maybe we should try to shoot for the first week of every month. I think that's a great— we Missed it by two days this month, but okay. It's a great. Brother, I think that's a good bumper to put in there, some parameters to put on the goal. But as long as we upload one every calendar month, I, I think we would call it a win for the year because yeah. we haven't done that yet, and we need to. Because it's paying us for this, so we'll do it however the hell we want. Yeah. Now, if somebody wants to start paying for it, we'll get a lot more serious. Yeah. But that you just have to believe that or not, you know. So well, that's not what I'm angling for. I'm just saying if if you really for, want to. Hey. First week of every month, we're going to put one out. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'll let I'll let let's let Kyle go next. Um, even though this is really a podcast resolution, we just did. In my mind, it's really more of a Ryan Brown resolution. So uh, I'm going to count that as your first one, Ryan. Yep. Okay, Kyle. You got one. Oh, I, I got to be honest with you. I uh, last year was a year of chasing cycling goals. And I did. I raced a bunch. I raced I, I raced things last year I'd never raced in my entire life before. Um, I raced cyclocross last year for gosh sakes. That was it was a it was a fun year. And so um, this year, I would say <clears throat> kind of the same. But I, my goal this year would probably be to try to strap on a plate as often as I can and then just show up. Um, I'm not really setting many goals in the ways of fitness this year. Um in my head going into the tail end of 23, I had kind of thought in my head that 24 was going to be a more moto focused year. Um, I don't know if that's possible, but I, I'm definitely going to, if I have the option of a or B, I'm probably going to spend some more time on the dirt bike this year than I did last year. Um, cause I'm not chasing the BT again. I will be at the BT. I promise I'll be there. I will not have a number plate on. <laughs> Unless for some reason, God willing, I find an opportunity to pedal 2,000 miles before the BT, um, which there's just no way that's going to happen. Because the fitness, two two thousand, like there's, I'm, you can't, I'm, I won't casually end up with 2,000 miles because I tried last year really hard and I ended the year at a thousand miles. The year, not 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 October 14th, the year. How how many miles uh, did you guys guess? I did. Right, I, I bet you. I bet you rode. I bet you rode five thousand, four thousand miles last year. Man, I don't even know how many miles I rode last year. Are, we talking, are you talking Zwift too? Yep. I bet you're. I bet you're four thousand, four thousand miles. Five thousand miles. Uh, let me let me look at. Uh, I don't even. Where do you find this on Strava? Like you know, my I don't think year. you can view it. I don't think you can view total miles for your for a year for your friends. No, no, no. I mean for me. Oh, for you? <laughs> they did like a year end thing. I don't know if you can go back and look at the whole thing. They had like the last week of the year where you could like save it. Well, and I, who knows what I can even see now because I refuse to resubscribe because they jacked up the price again. And uh, I um. Wait, oh wait, here's 2023. Okay. Right. Well, he's looking entertaining. Okay, I got my I've got my 2023 complete mileage 
that's on Strava. So this would not include any indoor riding, but there wasn't a whole lot of that anyway. Uh, so I'm looking at mine. So my guess is if I see what I'm seeing on mine, I would assume Ryan did at least four times as much. I think 4,000. I'm going to go with five because he's grinning. We're 5,000, Ryan. So I was shocked. Now, I do know there's a small margin of error there, like some miles that missed, some rides that didn't upload and stuff. But I wouldn't say it's more than like maybe 10% of my total. 1800. Okay. Is that it? 1800. That's it? 1800. I was oh, so you did. Okay. I was 1032.7. So, so okay. Like, that, that is okay. I just, you had me believing upload. you were just out there every morning, 5 a.m., pumping out 30 miles every day, you know. <laughs> no, I didn't do that much. Like, if I was out in the morning, it was like usually like maybe like 10 to 12 miles. Okay. That's okay. But, that's fine. But I was so, shocked. I kind of thought I'd be closer to 3,000. Yeah. I, I thought you were riding literally quadruple what I was. Forward. It seemed like you were doing it a lot. I might not have been. I don't have. I didn't pay for Strava, so I don't have the year, full year end recap. But I think I ended up going into the BT with like 750 miles. And I think for the year, I might maybe did another. I probably didn't do. I probably didn't even do another 200 miles after that. So I, maybe I did only finish the year at like 850, which is woefully shy of what anybody needs to be at to be at a fitness level to be competitive. I mean, that's, that's, eight, that's 85% of what I did, Kyle. It's not that bad. I just suck. I only, I only did a little over a thousand and I'm pretty sure, I mean, there's probably a one or two or three rides in there I didn't record for whatever reason, but I don't have like 500 unrecorded miles or anything like that. I can tell you that. I would say all of mine are recorded. And that means every trip to the skate park, every trip to the BMX track, every trip to go ride street and hooligan around with friends, like all, all like not, not fitness miles. That's not, that's not 700 fitness miles. That's like that's 700 miles of riding behind my kids down a five mile trail three times a month. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, that's every, every rolling mile I had that didn't have a motor on it. Yeah. I probably have some hiking in there too from, Yosemite, I would bet. I don't know. Maybe not. So I was, I was, I was shocked to be honest. Like I thought I was going to be closer and I, I, shame on me for not paying that close attention and maybe breaking it down per month with my goals that I had. So that's kind of my resolution is to, to really, to manage my miles, to achieve my goals better. Um, if that makes sense. So like break it down per month, like what do I got to do? But also like, I'm I'm doing a lot more structured workouts. Even my Zwift stuff that I did last year, they weren't I didn't do like a lot of structured workouts. I was just get on there and ride. And this year I've switched to trainer road. So when I'm doing my indoor stuff right now, it's all like structured workouts and they're ass kickers. I mean, the last the last week I've had two that I almost literally quit. Actually, I did quit one. Like I couldn't finish it. And then yesterday's I was on I was on the verge of quitting. <laughs> like they're they're crazy. So I think the quality of what I'm going to get, and I'm going to try and get 4,000 miles total. So that sounds so incredibly unenjoyable. Well, and, and I think like, I look back and like how I, how I did, like my goal obviously was my BT time and I fell a little short, but I still improved majorly. And I'm like, well, what if I would have hit that training? I don't know, Kyle, I enjoy it. All right. Enjoy the suffer. I know. And I'm jealous that you do because you get to places that you want to go. 
I uh, I have a real hard time talking myself into anything that sucks. Period. Because there's so much. Yeah, other you're thing. not one to su- you're not one to go and suffer. Um, no, that's for sure. I, I did more of that this year than I ever did before. Like any time that I'm riding a bike with drop bars, I'm pretty much considering suffering. But it, I enjoyed parts of it, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed like I got to a point where I could enjoy some of the suffering. But as a general rule, like there's just so many other things I'd rather do than hurt. You know what I mean? Like I, I there's it's I have plenty of options. There's lots of stuff that I enjoy doing instead of hurting and having a terrible time doing something. I would rather just go do something that I enjoy. It, it's not a good quality characteristic of somebody who wants to race. I know that, but that's. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't have that much time. You know what I mean? Well, like I don't so have, basically I, all I'm hearing is Ryan is Kyle's resolution is to have fun. More or less. I mean, I was just thinking that. Which, which <laughs> what is kind of resolution is that? But, but does that surprise have more fun? Kyle? Train less. Okay. No, no, I've got. I've got uh, it's on brand, would, Kyle. It's on brand. We're fine no, with it. No, I. Uh, this is going to sound surprising to you guys, but I do actually have uh, a goal for 24 that leads into a very, very large goal in 2025 that's not necessarily fitness related but it is cycling related. Um, it's not something I can talk about yet that I haven't mentioned to either one of you guys really too much. Um, but I've got, so there's some stuff in the works that I'm working on and, you know, I've got a partner that I'm working with for some of it. So we're going to spend 24 doing some development, um, playing with some technology and doing some different things and putting together a program and then probably a launch, uh, maybe something full scale in 25. He's going to race but, Lego folks. That's the secret. Yeah. He's <laughs> coming back to the BT. going to get to Leadville. Leadville 2026. Here we come. Let's go. Clinton, let's hear a resolution. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, One is I would like to return to bike nerd Clint. Uh, I'm not bike nerd. Tire nerd Clint. Sorry. Uh, Tire nerd Clint uh, has not been in existence and um, tested a lot of tires, which you'd think would make me more tire nerdy, but I had a very whatever attitude about it. it's like what's cheap they're all the same kind of been my attitude last year um but you know what i'm coming back around to you know, I, i'll tell you my big change uh i went through phases guys where i thought traction because i was riding at shepherd and it's steep and i kept riding in the fall or winter last year when it was wet and it was so dry this year i have definitely come around to uh rolling speed being very important even to the extent of sacrificing traction for that rolling speed even in enduro even at shepherd i'm 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 getting back to we're gonna we're gonna try to find something that rolls good uh so the return of tire nerd clint um actually have something in the works i don't know if it's for sure but I might be getting some early pre-release tires to test from a company that uh, they will be releasing at Sea Otter. We'll see. I don't know if that's going to happen for sure. I know it has been requested by someone at the company that I get these tires, but I haven't heard anything since. So it might not happen. Uh, that's not a really great resolution. It's very vague. So here's another one. And everyone's everyone every adult says this every year it's so cliche but this is the bottom line 
if I don't lose a legit amount of weight, I might as well just quit racing because no amount of riding or training, especially for, for endurance races like the BT, nobody would agree to duct tape a 10, 15, 20 pound dumbbell to their bike and go race. Who would, nobody would agree to that. But that's essentially what I've got strapped around my gut every time I go ride. And if I lost 20 pounds, I still would not be lean, like skinny guy whatsoever. And so I feel like, you know, I raced the BT Epic last year. I was probably 190 pounds naked. So by the time you get gear on and everything, you know, I was probably around the 200 pound mark on the bike. Uh, something like that after eating, eating food and shoes and clothes and all that. Yeah. But like naked, the only weight that matters. I mean, that's when you talk about weight. I know, I know it is, but there's a big difference between 180 and 190. And there's a really big difference between 175 and 190. Cause like I said, how different would your ride be over the course of climbing 5,500 feet if you just taped on a 15-pound dumbbell to your bike? That's what I felt like when I was the whole time anyways. What's that? That's what I felt like the whole time I was riding anyways. <laughs> so it's one of these deals where I've either got to take it, take my diet seriously because that is 100% of the problem. Um, or I need to just quit racing. Because I'm at the worst last year for enduro. I was at the worst, in my mind, one of the worst possible speeds you can be at, which is fast enough to win the expert, but too slow to even sniff the top five in the local pro class. <laughs> so it's like, if you're going to sign up for the pro class, uh, you're still trying hard. Like you're still racing seriously planning your race like you're not out there just goofing around all day having a good time but also now that i've gone fast enough where like i would have won the expert class by like 10 seconds like i can't go back because then i might be accused of being a sandbagger so it's just like the worst I, well i'm there but on the other end so i was on the podium every amateur race and but i would have been out of the top five in expert every race and i don't know if do i do i push up to expert or do i just keep getting podiums in amateur <laughs> now given the some of the situation i'm in with some stuff i can't quit racing i need to stick with it uh, I have been back in the gym after a two and a half year hiatus. The problem there is I'm getting stronger, but I'm not losing body fat and I'm putting on muscle. So I'm actually getting heavier right now. <laughs> Weight comes um, off in the kitchen, not in the gym. You know that, right? I know. I know that. I know that. And that's what I'm saying is I'm not, I haven't, I haven't fixed the kitchen issue quite yet. Uh, <laughs> but we finally had our last family Christmas uh, last weekend. So that should make it a lot easier. Clinton, uh, is it, is it, is it? The kitchen, or is it just the? It's is it just the little debbies? Man, I don't eat nearly as many little little debbies as you think. All it's, right, so, so it's the kitchen. I just it's I, the I kitchen. Just, didn't know, like, are you a cheeseburger type guy, or are you like chicken breast and rice kind of guy? Bro, cheeseburger is my favorite food. I know. Right. <laughs> That's the problem. 
<laughs> Sound like street bike, Tommy. Now, here's the other problem. It's not a problem because you can still fix it in the kitchen. Um, my wife is expecting. Uh, baby should be here end of April, early May. That's going to put a damper on. And so eh, the ride time is going to suffer. But I'm hoping if I lose the weight, that will help offset some of the lack of riding. Oh, I. No, the time I, I'm in good shape because you can fix the diet. That'll be way easier once the baby's here. I don't know about you guys. I put on weight with my wife every time because normally I'm okay just sympathy, not smacking. Sympathy I'm weight. Up. Yeah, it, no, it is, but it's it's opportunity weight. It's because just sitting by myself. Yes, I always want ice cream, but my wife's not a sweets person, and so usually I won't even ask because if she don't want it, I don't need it. You know, we're good. Um, but when my I, I am completely unable to say no to ice cream and or cookies and so the person that i sit next to seven nights a week from the hours of seven until 10 every night uh says hey we should get ice cream tonight my answer is just yes it's always yes no matter what and so uh when that stopped we were able to refocus on the kitchen i i, but I did i think i gained like eight pounds of sympathy weight every time with every baby because i always want ice cream and treats always always and the 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 sugar addiction is real i mean i went shopping this was after christmas was over and stuff and i was just i was walking through walmart and i mean i didn't buy any junk food that day but i felt like a junkie i'm walking through and my brain and my stomach are just like get the oreos get the get the rest of the christmas tree cakes get the donut like it was bad and I'm realizing this is happening. I didn't buy any, but I'm just like, holy smokes, you are. Th this is what it's like to be to be like a smoker that's just, yeah. I got to no. have a cigarette. It's exactly never, that's how I felt. I never Crazy. even thought I'd be able to say this, but Clint, you, you should genuinely give yourself 45 days on my diet. The diet that I do when I when I when I do a cleanse, I'm not I, I've never done it and not lost more than seven pounds in 45 days. Well, I'll tell you this right now, boys. If I get down to 175, Ryan, I'm kicking your butt the epic if I lose that much weight. It's oh. on. It's going to be on. Oh. <laughs> no, here's the thing, too, man, is the diet that I <laughs> is rough. Is there a the bet? That I, Are we going to place a bet right now? Ooh. No, I, I'm having a baby this year again. I ain't, babe, I ain't making no I'm going to beat Ryan bet for the epic this year. What's your goal to get to 175? What is there like a deadline? Or are you is it like not that serious of a goal yet? No, no, like no, Clint, you need to be at 175 by the BT. Well, here's what I was 175 by BT. Oh, okay. How Wait, many place the bet? I mean, I on realistically, Ryan, I think the healthiest, most sustainable way to get there will probably 175. I mean, I think we're looking at 20 to 25 weeks. Now, I could crash diet and do it faster, but I gotta do. I need to do it in a sustainable, like. I'm telling you, like you know, pound a week, like four weeks, like a month boot camp. No, no, yeah, like, you could, I could, you could do it that way, but the program that I do, what's gonna happen when I'm off that? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, like seriously, the program that I do that I run, it sucks for two weeks. It's uncomfortable on the third week. And by four weeks, it's just the way that you eat. And it's not even weird after that. And like you can just keep going and doing what you're doing, but you're, the weight comes off if you keep moving. 
and it's easy. Like there's no, you don't really eliminate all that much. It's just making simple, smart decisions and changing your changing what you do. But you could do it all year. Like if you did it all year, you you would be incredibly fit at the end of the year. It would suck because I like treats, but I mean you could do it. Okay, let's move back around the table here. That's that's enough because I'm, I'm assuming you guys have more than one resolution. I uh, have another one, uh, but we can get back to me. Ryan, do you have a second? Yeah. My, so my second one, because we like to talk about our kids on this, is just a lot of a lot of mountain biking with Tucker. He's been uh, like it, it's weird. Like he's always enjoyed riding. Kyle would even discuss this and even even though this weekend Kyle tried to get me to go to ramp riders and Tuck didn't want to go for whatever reason I don't know I probably should have just told him we were going and loaded him up and whatnot but um he was kind of in a mood but anyway he's been really showing a lot of interest in just riding we did a first BMX race back this fall he really enjoyed that so we're gonna do tackle some BMX um even like his dirt bike stuff it's it's really funny he's actually lately been loving watching like hard enduro like Erzberg and Tennessee knockout <laughs> this morning we were watching <laughs> we were watching Tennessee knockout and he's like he's like dad I want to go race my my Momo in the Smoky Mountains <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean all around just a lot of riding but I definitely want to get him like riding his bicycle more riding his dirt bike you know he's finally kind of showing where he's he's kind of showing some initiative on that stuff and like a little more competitive in a way he's not super competitive but i'd just like to see uh i think that'll help his progression in a lot of things so you know any opportunity i can get to get him out riding and and i'm gonna do a better job of just dedicating myself to time to go go ride with him and and you know which means more early mornings for me and and then the evenings that's the change that's what it is because your your fitness time becomes the morning time and then the evenings become buddy time. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I'm not fit. that kind of stuff and hitting like uh like Bangard Island and, and the flats out at ICC and some stuff like that. I think would just I know he he'd enjoy it um and, and doing those sort of things and then um you know hitting the BMX track a lot, doing a lot of BMX racing. So. Um, as much as he wants to do anyway. So he's, he seems to really be excited about that and, and definitely riding his dirt bike. So. All right. Kyle, you got another one? Yeah, I, uh, is it specific think, this time? No, no, yeah, I will call this a specific one. It's, it's kind of bouncing off of Ryan's one, um, is that every, <laughs> every year right, I talked to Connor and I'm like, Connor, do you want to race BMX more this year? And he's like, yeah, I want to race BMX more. Um, but Connor doesn't drive the car, you know, and he's a, you know, he's a, he's a full blown squirrel. And so he just does whatever is able to be done and just keeps, keeps on living his life. And so, you know, he doesn't think to himself, Ooh, I want to go race my bike today. You know, but if I ask, Hey, do you want to go race? He's like, yeah, let's go. And so we always go. And so, but it's on me and selfishly, um, I enjoy the woods that's my place of peace. Like the woods, I, don't, I almost don't even care how I'm there. Dirt bike, mountain bike, gravel bike, hiking, what, whatever. Like that's where I want to be. Um, but so I typically will venture to say that if I had the option of going to the BMX track or going mountain biking, 
I would always rather go mountain biking. And, and Connor is big enough now, too, that I just take him with me. So, like, if me and Connor want to go get four laps at the fun stuff at Matson, me and Connor can go ride four laps on the fun stuff at Matson together. Like, it's awesome. But this year, I really do want to help develop him as a racer a little bit more. And so I'm going to say my goal for 2024 is to spend more time at the BMX track on race day. We do a lot of practice days. We do a lot of gate days and just go out and just go have fun and ride. Um, I would like my kid to have a more competitive spirit than me. Um, and it's not to say I feel like I'm in a bad spot. I really enjoy all the things that I do. I, I wish I could talk myself into enjoying the pain to be more competitive though. And so I'm going to spend this year trying to get Connor to spend more time at the track and be competitive and develop some more of that competitive attitude. Cause right now he's, Oh boy, Kyle's turning into a mini dad, Ryan. Well, uh, he, he, he's the same as me. He don't care at all. He just wants to go have fun. Then he's, that's just who he's going to be. Don't, hey, don't push it. <laughs> hey, essentially I'm trying to keep my kid from becoming Kyle. <laughs> don't be so hey, bad don't be so i don't really want to hear it because my I'm son kidding. has no like he really couldn't care any less uh about I, riding anything he, so he loves to ride but he, i don't think I, I i i'm still not convinced he's like super competitive which my wife is not competitive so i totally get it if he's not but he did show like a big interest in racing but i was and it was cool for him, but every kid got a trophy. So he was pumped because he got a trophy, even though he got third, which was last. <laughs> so I'm kind of like, you know, he didn't, he pet, he, he got the whole shot all three motos, but then the second straightaway, he's just like, yeah, going ahead guys and let him go. Cause he knew he was, I don't know if he knew he was getting the trophy, but I want to see him just push himself. Like it, I don't even fun. have, fun. I've done too many personality trainings and all this stuff and learn about that to even worry about it. It, it, it their brains at this point five six seven eight years old are pretty well their personalities are what they're gonna be oh i i think so yeah i think Ryan, you two are gonna be out there screaming at your kids for not caring that they lost i can't wait no 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 as long as he's having fun but i i also like part of me is like I want to see him push himself a little bit. See, well, and that's, might. Too, that's what's weird for me too, is that like professionally I'm incredibly competitive. Like I'm, uh, you know what I mean? Like I'm in sales. And so like, that's a competitive field anyways. And I refuse to not be the top name in the list when the sales report rolls out every month. Like I, I'm incredibly competitive when it comes to that. And maybe, maybe that's why when it comes to cycling, I don't care is that I, I spend all of my competitive energy being competitive at work that I don't necessarily care to be competitive at anywhere else. And maybe that's what it is. But, um, I've been, there's been points in times where like, I wanted nothing more than to just be on the top of the podium. Um, but then everybody got real fast and I didn't get much faster. <laughs> and so I'm not, but I think, but Connor had one race this year where he decided I don't want to lose this race and like mid race. And so he got the whole shot, got passed in turn two and had two kids ahead of them going into the second straight. And he passed one and then passed the other in the last straight by the finish line. And so like, it was really neat to see it click though, that if I don't pedal harder, I'm going to lose to these two kids and him get after it until he got where he wanted to be. So he's, he's got it in him. I just want to develop that, that instinct just a little bit more with him. Okay. Well, I'm cutting off the kid talk. Uh, <laughs> what you got? Um, okay. I've got, I've got two more at least. I think I have, might have more. And then I want to do just a little bit of motocross talk just a little bit uh one is next time i need to build a wheel i'm gonna build it at my house 
without Kyle being there, I'm build my own own, own wheels this year. Uh, so that'll be an adventure doing that all by my lonesome. I'm sure I'll have Kyle on the uh, the video phone a few times in the process. Hopefully, I won't need to do that, but you know, it's me, so we'll see. Uh, the other is I I am not. I say this. I'm not going to buy a new bike in 2024. Really? End the year with the bikes I have right now. I don't need a new bike. My bikes are great. They have great components. There's no reason for me to need a new bike. So just going to run what I've got. And right. I think this is where Clinton's wrong. And I think Clinton needs a revolt real bad. I, I think he does so many miles on the road. And I know you've got your little circuit that you do, but you want to talk about pain caving and just going and putting power down. You, I, you would enjoy it more on a road bike to do it for like 40 miles and shoot for a power goal for the whole time. Nah, I'll right? get killed. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'll get killed. I don't want to. I don't want to be a roadie. I have no I have desire to be a roadie. You've got uh, access. People where I live are not used to seeing bicycles on the road. It is not part of life down here. No, I not die. a I don't want to die. You've, and got like, you've got hundreds of miles of, of, of gravel and national forest roads out there. And they're all right by the Berryman Trail. And I can ride those on a on my short travel bike. It's fine. Yeah, yeah I mean – it just doesn't interest me, Kyle. It does not interest me whatsoever. Zero percent. But I also have access to like perfect roads to ride. Like I don't. I, there's not a lot of traffic, um, and, and 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 it's a difference of I can ride out my door to go on a road ride, or I can load my bike up and it's 20 minutes minimum to the closest trail. So that's why I do it. I I wouldn't say I necessarily thoroughly enjoy it, although because I am a little different in that I enjoy the pain of a workout. Um, they are killer workouts. And then I get my buddy Carl next door, who's just a machine to drag me along and punish me. I see the results from it. So I don't know. That's, that's probably why I do it. I wouldn't say I'm in love with riding a road bike. I'd much rather go ride my mountain bike, but. Um, no, I would too. But like going out and spinning for 30 miles in gravel and getting, seeing 30 miles of stuff, you know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, 15 miles because I can do 30 miles on a road bike almost as fast as I can do 15 miles on a mountain bike. You, you know what I mean? Um, but to do those rides, I don't know. I, there's there's an enjoyable quality to doing a road ride and getting seeing 30 miles of scenery. You know what I mean? Not even a road ride, but like a gravel, like a mix, like a mixed gravel ride, or even just riding around bush or doing a pork chop or two. Like that's an enjoyable. I, I found to enjoy that this year. Like I like I just being outside. I can get in the woods, go pedal the Katie or do something like that. I do enjoy that. Like that's, that's fun. And it's more fun than not riding dirt, which we don't always have access to out here because of the weather. Sure. Eh. Okay. Well, each to their own, I guess. Um, but proud of you, Clint, proud of you for saying you're not going to buy a bike. You'll never hear me say that. I don't know that I, I plan so. on either. I'm, I'm a glutton and I just, I want all the things. Maybe if Kyle's, uh, Kyle's going to buy. If Kyle's Cervelo comes up at a, at a, at a sweet deal for me, I, I may consider that. <laughs> is that really going to be any oh oh his uh i i sorry i was thinking about the the mountain bike cervello i'm like it's just like your bike basically no his, his gravel bike that's okay yeah, okay that, 
I got to be honest. I, I don't, the gravel bike is one of the ones that I don't think will have an annual rotation for me. Um, I cool. don't it'll be for in two years then. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I no, it will be. We'll see. Hey, hey if they, they have a really cool paint job, I, I can't say no to cool stuff right now. I'm, I'm enjoying my sparkly bass boat chameleon though. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm, I'm buying, I'm going to buy two, I'll, I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a new bike before April and I'll probably have another bike before July after that, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's transition just to a little motocross talk. Ryan and I have a much longer, more extensive history in that sport than we do mountain biking. Um, now, according to uh, Robbie Renner on Twitter, I should just stick to mountain biking because I'm an idiot, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> he asked the question if anybody, you know, was mad about Freeze's start at uh, Anaheim. And I said, I am. And here's why, because I fully understand, like, if you don't have a problem with it, that's fine. Like, I, I get why you don't. Okay. I'm going to speak my piece on this. Because the conventional motocross wisdom is, hey, if you've got a if you've got a, a wheel and you know the corner's yours, if you've got a you know two thirds of a bike length, you know almost a you're almost completely clear, it's all yours. That front turn is yours. That's like the I'm a motocross, I'm I'm BA, I'm a tough guy. That's just how it is mentality. I get it. That's that's fine. Here's why I don't think that necessarily applies a couple reasons first of all these are factory 450 motorcycles with start devices and maps on relatively hard dirt not super deep ripped up like an outdoor into a sweeping right hand turn now human reaction time being what it is if someone is, if you're in motocross and someone is next to you and they do have their bars in front of you or maybe your front wheels around their foot peg or whatever, as long as they're going straight, you're staying on the gas. Like, where, where are you? Are you supposed to back off and hit the brakes as soon as you're out of the gate and they've pulled ahead of you? You're like, well, that's it. And I'm just going to slam on the brakes. No, like, you don't do that. Professionals are certainly not going to do that. But here's the other thing is what you don't expect in a sweeping right-hand turn on a short, you know, a start straight and supercross is a lot shorter than motocross starting line. And it's a lot harder packed. It's harder to, there's not as much grip to slow down. Every other race that night, somehow they figured out all how to get around the first turn without knocking anyone down. The difference between what Freeze did and what anybody else did, starting close to the box, because that's where the whole shots kept coming from, was he absolutely was determined he was going to hit that very inside. He was going all the way to the tough box, right, whether he got hit or not. And he did get hit. Like, that very easily could have taken him out as well. There's a reason that not anybody else cut over that far and still managed to come out. Now, I get I get it. Like, if you disagree with that, I understand. I get it. Whatever. It's This is not the type of thing where I'm just like, anyone who disagrees with me is crazy. I'm just saying, Vince Freeze 
has proven for the last 20 plus years, even in amateurs, because I was at a lot of Loretta's qualifiers, places he was at, and stories from people who had dealt with him at other places of just craziness. He has proven he does not care if he hurts anybody else. And so, yeah, he had the whole shot. But I think any other rider, including people who think I'm crazy, go, I'm going to start coming over, but I'm going to sweep this corner just a little more instead of, because it is a sweeper corner. Like it is, it was not a, if it was a tight 180, that's a different story. Plus everybody on the inside would have already started breaking anyway. But he was like, I'm not sweeping this corner at all. I am going across. He was third or fourth gate to the outside of the box. So if there's 11 on each side, he cut, he was like the 13 people to the inside of me, F them. And that is the Vince Priest mentality has been since he was a kid. And, you know, it was earlier this year in Paris. So I'm cross jumping people like, that's why I don't give any benefit of the doubt and go, everyone's mad just because it's freeze. Well, actually, yeah, because now, is it the worst thing he's ever done? Not even close. It's not in the top 100 of the worst things <laughs> he's ever done. Uh, but that's where I go. That's why I'm like, I don't think you'd look at that and go, that was 100% totally kosher. 100% Hunter's fault. It looks to me like well, as soon as Vince starts coming over, you see Hunter's front end drop and he starts breaking and starts trying to get turn away from Vince. Eventually there's no place else to go except hit his back wheel and go down. Now I know all the tough guys that, you know, they love, you know, Rubbin's racing or whatever. They think that's great. That's fine. But the problem is, I, I don't know, maybe I'm old now and sentimental like, I don't like for people to potentially get hurt for no good reason because Vince could have very easily still got that whole shot by sweeping that turn a little more. But his goal was clearly, I am cutting everyone off for sure. I mean, he almost took out Roxon, who was all like literally on the tough blocks, like he hit it. So I don't give him the benefit of the doubt at all because so, I think he's a sociopath. So he. Here's my thought on it, and I've been one in our conversations off the podcast at times to defend Vince. Um, I would categorize myself as probably a pretty aggressive racer in my day as well. But the difference is, is, and yes, Rubin's racing, it's a part of the sport, but what Vince did in that first turn was the equivalent of cross jumping a guy only you're on your first turn on flat it's bingo not, thank you very much that's it was about to be what i was gonna say it 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 also be the same if you're going down a rhythm lane and yes you have a wheel on the guy but you 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 take the majority of the rhythm lane to move over on the guy so that he has time to anticipate you moving over check up so nobody crashes their brains out and gets hurt right that is not what vince did in this turn he made a hard right towards the tough blocks in in a in a in a blink of an eye to where all the competitors could not anticipate that. Yes, he had a wheel on them, but moving over gradually is one thing, or or moving over a little bit at a time 
to make that turn and to sweep that turn, he still would have come out with the whole shot. But he blatantly just in the blink of an eye cut a hard right towards those tough blocks. And that's not cool. Um, I mean, there that's when people get hurt. I think aggressive riding or, or Rubbins racing riding is hard and you stand a guy up in the corner, kind of like Anderson did the web in the main or something like that. Like, like that's all cool, right? Like, yeah. Cause you're still leaving the other human being room to not get hurt. Yeah. And like, I mean, not punting them into the cheap seats or anything like that. Like, but we saw it in Paris. We've seen it historically with Vince. We saw it in Paris, and I don't even think in Paris, like the block pass when he took out Wilson or Savachi was the big deal. It was all the jump, the, the the cross jumping down the rhythm lanes and all that kind of crap, you know? And it's like, and hey, I've defended Vince a lot, like, um, but that was just, dude, he, well, there could have been seriously hurt. Other guys could have been seriously hurt. It's just not. You know, it's just not cool. Exactly. Like, the way he was going, I can totally see, like, at what point, this is the question I want to ask people, is like, watch it back in live time. At what point, if you're Hunter, do you think he should have shut down and got on the brakes? Because to me, he stayed on it an appropriate amount of time that anybody, literally any other racer where he was at would have. We're all going straight. Yeah, I see Vince is in front of me. but he's probably expecting him to to take stay on the gas longer and take that turn wider because it was so sweeping because that's what that's what Roxon would do what Tomac would do what literally anybody else would do because everybody else thinks well I don't want to just cut over and like take you know risk hitting someone else's front wheel the difference is I think Vince he revels in that like when he knocks someone down or cut someone off and they go down or whatever. I think in his mind, he either doesn't think anything or he's like, good, one less person that I have to race. I really, and that's not me talking Anaheim. That is, like I said, that is over 20. I'm 35 now. And I would say about the time I was 15, 16, when Vince moved to MTF, started getting really fast in the amateur ranks, like start doing really well. Dude, the stuff <laughs> I was at a race in Kentucky where this is where I kind of, my mind changed on him was it was Loretta's qualifier, area qualifier. And he had crashed and gotten lapped. And I remember, you know, after Loretta's qualifier, the motos, Ryan, they pull you into like a little, like they pull the top eight in after the motos to get their numbers. Um, and he he had gotten lapped and he pulled into the, I, they don't call it staging. It's the opposite of staging. It's after the race, whatever that's called. And he pulled in there and put his head down. So he'd get counted as like eighth or ninth. <laughs> and we were all like, what? And then some other stories came out where law enforcement was called. I'm not even going to get into all that. I'm just saying there's there's after this much history. I truly don't think he like does not care if someone else gets hurt. Full stop. Uh, there's I can't think of a reason not to believe that at this point. So. Anyway, that's why the start line thing, like I know the conventional is like, hey, it's your corner. You're ahead. 
okay, that's that's partly true. But like you said, that's like saying it's your straightaway because it's your rhythm section because you're a little bit ahead. Just, you go wherever you want with no consideration of the fact like we're not robots. We're not video game NPCs. Like these are real human beings that can't react immediately and also have to have trust in the other riders around them that they're right. not going to do something stupid. Now I've been knocked down in times where I'm like, yeah, I'd have done the same thing. And I've knocked other people down to get like that last turn, you know, whatever, but that's in a corner and it's not a, you know, the risk is so much less. And I've also raced people who were very respectful of me. I was thinking about this the other night, uh, long ago when I was in college and I did this in college a lot, you know, I hadn't ridden a motorcycle in months and then I'd just show up at a race uh, and then get proceed to get my butt kicked by like the gullies and the hussies. And, you know, I was good at starting. Sometimes I get a whole shot on them, but they would proceed to pass me usually within the first lap, if for sure the second, you know, that was it. But I remember a heat race at Columbia, Missouri in the, at the fairgrounds at the barn in a arena cross where I got the whole shot because I was good at starts and had arm pump like immediately and was just not very good in and out of the corners and all that. And uh, I remember Josh Mast, I, some of you might will know that name. I know Ryan will know it, was stuck behind me and I was going just fast enough. Like he was definitely faster than me that night, but he could not pass me. It was kind of the the Chad Reed, Ryan Dungey when, when Dungey was lapping Reed that year at st louis or wherever it was and i could tell he was so mad but it was just the heat race it wasn't the main you know but he could have cleaned me out i'm sure but he didn't because he's a decent person <laughs> you know and it, it 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 wasn't the main event right so so as, as a guy kind of on the outside looking in a little bit so this is i would say my second year following anything at all regarding moto um i haven't i never followed it up until this point anyway, but i knew i knew the names i watched it as a kid but i never followed it um it like the when you said the word npc that cracked me up and really stuck because i think that's how he views racing and his competitors that they're not human beings they're just they doesn't matter. Like they're just NPCs and they'll, they'll regenerate or something like it like it's like, it's like a non-human approach to, to his racing. And he and his family, like they would never say that. I don't think he'd never say that. I don't think he, if he's sitting at the dinner table, believes that, but that's what your racing looks like. When you put on a helmet, that is what it looks like to literally everybody else. And you are unique in that. Even Barsha, for all, and Ryan knows I'm not a fan of a lot of the stuff Barsha has done. But even his moves on people, for the most part, have not been like no, high-speed, dangerous incidents. Right. No Barsha, more than yeah. no more than Hampshire trying to clean out Lawrence in that one mud race. <laughs> and when Barsha gets confronted about it, at least now, he doesn't. He has some emotion, right? Like whether he's defending himself or saying, yep, I did it or or whatever, or I like that kind of racing. Like there's some emotion there. But every time I've heard an interview or seen Vince asked about it, he's he's just like, I don't, he doesn't have a clue why anyone would be upset. 
is what it seems <laughs> like. And I'm like, what? It's bizarre. It's it's just bizarre. Like, it's, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. And just to anticipate before anyone look like the whole well, you're not a pro racer, so you can't say anything because they're faster than you or whatever. That is the dumbest thing. Try to apply that to any sport you like or whatever. So are you telling me if I find someone faster than me or faster than you that agrees with me, therefore that's who's right or wrong purely based on that? Because I can do it. Like that is not how sports analyzation goes at all. No, I, Clint, I, I mean, I, I know uh, we, we know some pros that have made Supercross mains that commented and agree with this sentiment. Yeah, and some who disagree. And that's fine. Like, I don't think my take's crazy. And I don't think the take that, no, that was Vince's, that's not one of his bad moves. I don't think that take is crazy either. But uh, it's like, I just I just don't believe that, 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 that Tomac or any of those guys, even Barsha, I don't think any of them, the way he dove to that tough block like he is getting to the tough block on the inside from three gates from from the fourteenth gate over on a supercross start on a sweeping turn i I don't think anyone else is doing that. I really don't i I guess that I don't have anything else to say it's like I just don't think anyone else is doing that, and there's a reason no one else is doing that, and I don't think most of the people who are defending Vince if they had somehow had a jump like that in a race, I don't think any of them are doing that either because they know like I'm going to end up in a fight after this race is over. If I knock down half the field (laughs) just because I can, and it's my, I don't know, my unwritten, it's my right or whatever. Eh. Anyway, then again, I I've been told I was told off. I need to just stick to mountain biking because I don't know what I'm talking about. So, you know, you all can decide if I have a point or not. <laughs> or whether or not our listeners Little know do anything. they know I'm even worse at mountain biking than I am in motocross. So <laughs> joke's on you. <laughs> all right. Oh, by the way, here's another motocross thing. Completely unrelated. I literally just saw today that uh, Jack Brunel on Stark Varg wins... Manchester round of British Arena Cross Championship. Uh, racing names like Tommy Searle, he's legit. Harry Coolis, he's legit. Conrad Muse, he's legit. Uh, not to mention his teammate, Justin Bogle, he's legit. He was on a bar, yeah. On the electric bike, boys. Uh, it, it sucks, but we know it's coming. Well, it's not ready for motocross racing at the actual, like, I'm going to go spend a day at the track level. And that's fine. But by golly, uh, like my own father, he's going to be 69 in February. He doesn't seem that old. He still loves to ride. And even he, you know, when if, if he's still, you know, with it riding when Honda comes out with theirs, I cannot think of a more perfect bike for someone like him that our riding basically consists of maybe 30 minutes, maximum an hour 
on the actual bike riding at our track on the farm that is hard pack or it's it's actually pretty nice dirt it's not deep it's not tilled up he's not riding that fast being able to mellow the power out or increase it at will take it back home plug it in in the basement make sure the tires have air in them the next time go ride like that is the perfect I'm not a racer, but I still love to ride, but I don't go spend entire days riding situation. Like, I don't know, guys, not cleaning air filters or buying, ga- like dealing with putting gas in it or changing the oil sounds pretty good to me. For I'm what not- I do. What's that? I'm not against them. I'd like to ride one. Yeah. And it's isn't it funny how the, the great calling card of motocross has always been it's not the bike, it's the rider. But all of a sudden, there's so much fear of like, this bike is just too much of an advantage. I mean. Oh, I think it's good. I don't know if it's too much of an advantage. I don't think, I. of course it's not. It depends on who's riding it, like yeah. everything else. Now it'd be advantage on the starts. I, I think <laughs> no doubt about that. They got to figure out how to regulate it though. Because like, who's to say that that bike pulls up and they're like, oh yeah, we put it in the 250 map wink wink you know and it's got 90 horsepower right like well and you you know if you have a split switch that can go for modes because i don't want to try to ride a moto on an 80 horsepower dirt bike like i'll die in my opinion if i have a switch on the bars where i can start with an 80 horsepower (laughs) dirt bike and then flip it to a 55 horsepower dirt bike after the first turn well (laughs) you know Man, I'm, that might I'm, be pretty nice. I'm the old gladiators theory. I forget. I think it was George Carlin had a joke about gladiators doing PCP and like, who cares? Let's just see what the human body can handle, like in every way imaginable. Like, I, I'm just that's that's what I want to see the electric class of motorcycles go. I don't care what it is. How fast yeah. can you get around the track? Like, yeah. show up. Whatever company can build the fastest thing and find the dumbest human to pilot it, that's the guy I want to see standing on the podium. Like, well, and there what? there is a limit, Kyle. I mean, there's a reason they got away from the 500 class because people totally. started preferring the 250s as they got better. Like, no, no, right. That's what I mean. That's my point, though. It's like I, no restrictions. You race electric class. Whatever the fastest machine that you can pilot is, th- like that's the guy that stands on the podium, engineering and pilot. And there's a combination of dumbness in there that I, I think we like. I don't think the sport has had an unregulated level of dumbness that wins. You know what I mean? Like we've had all these restrictions and stuff, but like I feel like motorcycle racing in the 70s and 80s, like when you're talking about like the 500 class, like who can we get? to ride a 65 horsepower two stroke bike for 30 minutes in a moto, like, yeah. and, and, and ride it at its limit to get on the podium. Like that's, that's gladiator stuff. Like I just want well, to see that. We Un- still have that. We do have that now though, because we are at a point where at least in motocross, the factory teams could make their four fifties faster than they are, but they're not because the riders don't want that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it really is a true just, give me all give me 100 horsepower and let me rip i don't think that's what would happen anyway the only regulations i would put in are no hole shot devices where you lock down the forks and also whatever and now this would be really hard to regulate but what i would like to see is whatever map whatever setting you you have on the start line that's what you use the whole moto you can't change it 
I don't even you know, I don't want to see I don't even want to see that. Show up the line with an electric dirt bike. How hard can you ride it? How how much power can it make and how 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 safe can you be on it? You know what I mean? Like just I mean, people it. are doing it. It's starting yeah. to happen. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think most of those people don't run it at the max. But that's like just be so hard to handle. Yeah, that's what Group B rally was though in the 80s is that they had an unregulated field of, I, I don't, we don't care. Like show up and make as much horsepower as you fathomably can, as long as you can pilot it around the course and put it on the podium. Like, or, like you know, that was F1 in the seventies. Like how, how dumb are you? Like how dumb and brave are you to pilot this unknown thing uh, at an obscene, uncontrollable amount of power and then put that guy on the podium? <laughs> that's what I, that's what I want to see. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, Ryan had to jump off. This is a long podcast. We're over an hour and a half. So yep. I think we need to call it quits. Uh, thanks. If you made it this far, get a life. Um, anyway, I don't know if that's what I should tell our listeners. Yeah, I don't know about that. But this one was good. Much better, I think, than our last wheel building podcast in which you couldn't hear me. I sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher in the background. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Kyle, any last thing to say? Oh, let's have fun. If you got kids, come ride bikes with us. I started a Facebook page called Mo Kids on Bikes. Come yeah, join we'll the see y'all in March when the weather breaks. So. Uh, we've been out twice so far. Let's go. Skate parks. I don't know how I feel about riding in sub-freezing temperatures anymore. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but um, I'm about skate parks. I can do skate parks in the winter. Gotcha. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you.